Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the host of Braving the Journey podcast, a speaker and a recovery life coach. It's Zach Mavers. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing great, man. And thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to learn more about your rise to the challenge. What would you like to do with all of our guests? Start from right at the beginning. Where are you from and what were you involved in growing up? Uh, where am I? Where was I born or where am I at now? Where you're born? Uh, I was born in Boys Town, Nebraska. And uh, grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And currently live in Maui, Hawaii. So yeah. You go from the Midwest to oceans everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I don't remember. I don't remember Nebraska. I was little, moved out of the out of there, never actually been back there yet. So, yeah. When did you finally make the move out to Hawaii? Uh, been out here seven years. My wife and I kind of uh, decided to give it like a, let's just see what happens. You know, kind of one of those. We left our house, rented it out back in Idaho, and we're like, let's just go out for a year, see if we like it. And uh, yeah, haven't left. Growing up, were you involved in anything that kept you productive or were you kind of an easy flowing child? You know, I, I always played soccer. Um, soccer was kind of my dad coached me. Uh, he played college. And so soccer was always kind of a, a thing for me as far as like any activity that was like sports related, team related. And I got into my high school years, you know, for me, it became snowboarding and wakeboarding and I pushed hard in those sports until my body kept breaking. But yeah, I think those were kind of my things. And, you know, all the way from a young age, I can remember my dad always handed me a hammer, you know, he would just be like, oh yeah, you can build with me, you know, and, and it progressed to the point where like when I was 15, I was on like a cabinet crew with him and we, you know, we had to work early before all the other like crews came in because I was underage to be on the job site type stuff. And so, so yeah, I kind of always learned to work hard with him and, and play hard. When your dad gave you that opportunity with the hammer and starting to do building and stuff, did it kind of keep you grounded to keep your mind focused on a task? Yeah. I don't think it just taught work ethic. You know, I think it taught me, um, no, the idea that no matter what I do, you got to put energy into it. Like things just aren't going to just show up and happen, you know? And so it was that way with, um, with everything, even soccer. I remember I, I was the guy that before season would be out doing double days, like by myself pushing before season. So, so as soon as, you know, actual season happened, I was prepared. So, yeah, I think, I think he taught me, he just, he put in me a lot of this, um, just really hard work ethic. So making that transition with soccer into snowboarding, what brought you to snowboarding and those kind of action-packed sports? I think, I mean, honestly, I think I've always been an adrenaline junkie. Um, I like to push the boundaries. Um, you know, before snowboarding, it was mountain biking. Before mountain bike, you know, in there, there was whitewater kayaking. Um, you know, and so I lived in an area like the North, North Idaho was four seasons, you know, so in the summertime it was um, wakeboarding and then the winter it was snowboarding and it just became a, a thing that I, you know, I got good at was able to get sponsored with, um, and was able to, I mean, it's just something that became, that's where my circle of friends got surrounded by. Um, yeah. And I loved it. I mean, it was out, anything outdoors. I'm happy to do. You talked about, you did it up to the point where you're breaking your body was injuries a big factor in that case. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh yeah, like even recently, so I'm at thirty seven now and I had a recently I had a spinal x ray and the, the doctor's like, you know, if I didn't know who I was looking at spine wise, like I would assume we're sixty plus year old man. And uh I mean that's just from you know, both shirt shoulders have broken collarbones many times, surgeries on the knees, on the shoulders, on broken tailbones. I mean, yeah, you name it. Things kind of broke for me. Is it hard knowing that you can't do the things that you used to do? Or does it always have that niche where you're like, maybe I'm going to challenge myself and try to see how far I can take things? I'm learning. Um, I wish my boss, like right now, it's funny you ask that because I'm in the season of life right now where I'm like, I'm doing hot yoga. I sit in an ice bath. I do acupuncture. I kind of been doing a lot of different things to kind of help push my body into as healthy as it can be. Um, you know, but moving to Hawaii, I get a surf still. So surfing is something I can continue to do and my kids get to do it with me. And so, um, so yeah, surfing has kind of become, it's not as, it's not as hard on the body as snowboarding would be. Did you have any inspirations or someone that motivated you growing up? Mm, I never was a person that had those uh, like famous people I looked up to. It's one of the, I was one of those people. I'm like, if I, had, I had, like, I just don't know famous people. If I haven't met you, uh, I don't know you. Um, but you know, growing up, there was a couple men in my life that. Um, not so much in like the, well, we, everything we were just talking about with sports and that kind of stuff that inspired me, but that, um, I looked up to just as who they were, like as their, the nature of the person and the character of how they showed love and compassion to others. And so, yeah, there was a guy, Chris Herbert, who I really looked up to. Um, and I found, I looked up to people with like, not looking at a person at a whole and be like, this person's perfect. I look up to him, but like, I always had this, like, like my dad, I look up to him in, in a lot of ways of his work ethic, you know, and, um, my mom, I looked at her as I was growing up as this, um, really balanced woman. She was a marriage and family therapist. And so, you know, she was the talker, the one you could process with. And my buddy, you know, Chris Herbert, he was older, he was about 10 years older than me. Um, so as we grew up, he always took me under his wing, you know, and, um, he was someone I looked up to just for his passion for life. You know, he just was passionate about people, passionate about life. And so, yeah, um, I had people, I kind of felt like I was always blessed to have really good people in my life kind of challenging me. I think that's a big thing nowadays where people look at these celebrities and stuff. And they're like, Ooh, I want to be like them, but it's all about like the materialistic aspects of those right. lives. And I think we have to all dig down deep and go, how do they handle certain situations? And take on those kind of roles when we're looking up to certain people. And I know I look at some of my friends and we all have similar paths in a way, but they do things differently. And it inspires me to go down that route in a way. And yeah. I've never been one of those, oh, I want to be like him, but not because he's a celebrity, but just more about what do they do as a human and a person. Yeah. And I think it's easier for us. I mean, it's easy to look at the material side of things and be like, I want that. And if I have that, my life will be better. I mean, that's how marketing works, right? Like, you know, we, they put it on someone that you go, oh, if so, if I have that product, then my life will be like that. And that's just how. We, so we have to, like, really fight against that, you know, because the truth is, is like, I don't care what you give me. It's probably not going to change my life drastically to be so much better. Um, it's a thing. 
And so, yeah, it's, it comes down to like when we view people, um, you know, are they, can we look at the character and the heart of them? You know, I always grew up with this idea that, um, or it was taught to me that you always have someone ahead of you. That's kind of helping pull you up through life. And then at the same time, you always pull someone along the, with you. So it's kind of like the idea of like a chain link. Like you don't want to be the last one in the chain because you're not helping anybody behind you. And you don't want to be the one in the very front because, you know, that's just not the place to be. So you find yourself in the in the link going, there's people always helping pull me that I'm looking to. And there's always people behind me that I'm I'm pulling along with me. You know? I think I can definitely relate to that even with work and stuff is like you're kind of paving the way towards the future for the people that are after you but you're also looking at those people ahead of you that have done it and yep. how can you get to that stage where they're at yep yeah absolutely did you ever have a dream job that you were always wanting to pursue you have that conversation growing up where oh i want to be a police officer i want to do this but did you ever answer that question for yourself I wanted to be a pro snowboarder. I mean, I really did. Like, and I, I tried, like I pushed, pushed hard enough. Um, and then the other job that, I mean, ever since I was growing up was, um, I wanted to be a pastor of a church, you know, and I feel like I did, I did that for a season. Um, but yeah, I think those are kind of, I didn't have any of those lofty, lofty, big dream jobs. Like, um, Yeah, no. So what brought you to wanting to be a pastor? Were you getting into church and going through that process? Or there was listening to someone speak about the Bible or God and wanting to follow in their footsteps? You know, I think it was um, kind of for me, it, it was a mix. Like I always grew up in the church. Um, and at the same time, I had a really strong heart for like loving the church, like what it was. But at the same time, there were so many things I struggled with about the church that my desire to kind of pastor a community would be, it was more out of this, like I wanted to see if we could have a community that looked different. Um, as far as when I say that, what I mean is like, um, you know, I think one of the things that I struggled with about church the most and still do to this, this day is this, this idea that we have to put on our Sunday best and look our best. And we don't, um, we can't just show up messy. And, but the, the reality is we all are kind of a mess. Um, and so you think that should be the safest place to be able to show up and just be broken, a mess, who you are. Um, but yeah, we try really hard not to be in those spaces. And so I think that was, that was a big motivational factor for me. It's like, I just wanted to create a space that, People were free to be who they were in the, and not have to hide the fact that they're struggling through life. You know, it was a safe place to come and start working on stuff. It kind of sounds like it's you're going there and you're hoping not to be judged in a way. But yeah. people are judging if you're not dressed yeah. in right clothes and not looking at your Sunday's best. Yeah, well, I mean, we just put on a we put on an attitude of like, oh, life's good and grand, everything's fine, and you're like yeah, but I know that you're going through a divorce right now or you you got this situation with this kid or you're struggling with addiction or whatever it is, we don't talk about it there. You know, we have a tendency to push that aside and show up and be like, no, life's good, I'm good, everything's good. And you're like, no, it's not. Like, um, So yeah, I think 
that was a big motivating factor for me. It was like, I wanted to create an authentically real space um, that people could experience God. With those mindset of making a big difference, were you able to pursue a career path in that way? Kind of. So I went to college in Southern California called Vanguard University. And when I studied there, I was minor business, major religion. Um, and so I ended up, though, two years in. Um, so it had been coming into my junior year of college. Um, I stepped out for like I, I plan on stepping out of college for a semester and it ended up being, you know, 16 years later that I went back and finished. But I stepped out because we started a nonprofit, um, some friends and we started this nonprofit kind of filming short documentary pieces around the world uh, on suffering and injustice. And so um, that took a radical shift in my life. But yeah, so I kind of was stepping into college with the idea like I'm going to go to school and train for this. And then kind of stepped into the real world where all of a sudden I got to go travel and we were working with kind of the, the most suffering, struggling situations. We worked a lot in like East Africa with uh, child soldiers and in India and Thailand and those different places with child prostitution. And so, yeah, we, I got exposed to a lot of the world that my eyes kind of were open. And once they opened, I, kind of was at a spot where I was like, I have to do, I want to do something, you know? Was it more about showing the world what is going on in these countries than more of the monetary value you could make from it or getting a job where you're making money? It was more about the mission, the cause that you guys were representing. Yeah, the nonprofit was, it was really, I mean, we went into it at like 19 years old, completely naive to like, we're like, we're going to make a feature length film and, um, we realized we weren't fully equipped. I mean, we had all the film equipment, all the gear and uh, contacts along the way around the world. And once we got into it, we started realizing like we can help by just sharing their voices because there's a lot of people that their voices got never got a chance to be heard. And sometimes once their voices are heard, the impact that it can have. And so, yeah, we started creating these these films for their voices to be heard so that somebody can help step in and do stuff. What has been the reaction people have been giving you from your videos and films? Well, so the nonprofit Braving the Journey doesn't isn't running anymore. It ran, so I mean that was eighteen years ago, um, and my a good friend of mine that we started it together. He ended up taking it over and ran it in New York for quite a few years. Um, but the the impact was, I believe everyone has a compassionate heart, really at the core. Um, and so, you know, when you show them a video of a situation, sometimes it helps it. People just, they may have been naive, to be honest, in the beginning and unaware of the situations that exist around them. Um, so I feel like the films did their job. It, it helped people wake up a little bit and be like, wow, that's happening. You know, and from, yeah, I can just look back like East Africa. We had, we did some work in uh, Tanzania and came back and I shared some films with some people and then, you know, a group of, I think 18 leaders kind of in, in the community of Seattle said, well, yeah, we're going to go, you know, so they went over, did a trip and then to see the ripple effect, you know, some of those people after going brought a team and then those guys brought a team and then there's a school built and there's all this stuff that like you watch play out. Um, and I got to sit back and be like, oh, that's so fun. Like 
I just went and just, you know, got to share their story. And then you get to see the ripple effect of it. It sounds like when you went there, it was before social media and it's kind of harder to get spread the word. And now one person can take a photo and everyone is now hearing or seeing about it. So I think it was like a way that it kind of starts. And even if you guys did it or were doing the same thing when you guys were all together now, it would still have that huge effect and bringing awareness to all these different situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was definitely different. Like it was like, I think MySpace was the thing at the time, you know? And so, uh, it, yeah, the reach was different who you connected with. I mean, it was like putting on events to share videos, not just throw it out there on, on the internet and watch what happens, you know? But that kind of makes me like think about nowadays, like, my hope is that we we don't keep covering our heads under rocks that we're not as naive as we were 18 years ago at, to what exists around the world just because there is so much more content out there for us to actually get to learn from. You I think know? that's definitely a good point because nowadays if you don't want to listen to something, you don't have to. But I think the idea is people just need to be aware of certain situations and just yeah. have a a little bit of information instead of making judgments or their own opinions without getting the real facts in a way. Yeah, absolutely. So after that, what was next for you? Okay. So I like all your questions. You're kind of making me get to like play through my, my life where I'm like, huh? Um, so yeah, we, so started the nonprofit, um, came back from the trip at the very end of my trip, I actually flew out my girlfriend at the time and, uh, proposed to her. So came back from this kind of around the world travel documentary going and, um, was now engaged. I was only 20 years old and my good friend who I told you about that was kind of that mentor guy to me growing up contacted me and said, Hey, we're starting a church in Seattle. We want you there. And so I, so my fiance and I, at that point, we moved to Seattle. It was her senior year of college and, um, we helped kind of plant a church in Seattle, downtown Seattle. And I, for me at that time, I was doing construction. I was buying, buying houses and fixing them up and selling them. The market was good. So that was what I was able to do for income. And it gave me the freedom to be open with my time with whatever I needed. And then we just got to be part of kind of helping start a church in Seattle. Um, And my wife and I always had this idea that we were going to start some like an orphanage or something like in a different country and so we decided i think a not even a year married we took off through south america and lined up we kind of went venezuela colombia ecuador uh peru bolivia and we kind of backpacked through it all but we had these different orphanages along the way that we were stopping at and staying with uh, kind of for the purpose of to study, to study the model, big, small, which one works better, why this is. And so we were just, we really thought we would end up doing this trip, starting one. Um, and we got done with that trip and found ourselves moving to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And uh, so went from church plant to travel again, to back to Idaho. And that's where I, that's kind of where I called home. You know, that was kind of home place. Family was there and uh, we ended up just starting a church there. So I, that's when I stepped in as kind of lead pastor of a community and um, started doing it there. During the time when you were with your fiance, were you guys both having like the same kind of, not bucket list ideas, but the same goals and what you guys wanted to accomplish 
in the years to come that it worked out perfectly where you're able to do those things? Uh, I think a little bit, you know, like, um, I would say we had like-minded things. Like we both had a heart for kids. Um, we knew in some capacity we wanted to work and help with kids and we still do today. Um, but I think we were, I mean, we were 20 years old and to us, we were like, kind of like, we could do anything. And at the same time, we didn't really have this. I wasn't, I wasn't really a young person that will look back and be like, I want to be here when I'm 40, 50, 60. I didn't have that really no one ever really taught me to think about it even you know it was just one of those like i lived very extremely like into the moment and going okay i'm gonna do this now and and uh see what happens so moving back to idaho where you're going from midwest now to the west coast and now back to the midwest what was next for you what were you wanting to accomplish while being there um you know i think idaho idaho was a place where the move was more based out of that's that's just that was family um and it's a beautiful you know mountains and lakes and it's a beautiful outdoorsy place but like that was family and i just bought a house there that we were flipping and to be honest it hadn't sold and that was my one property that was sitting empty and we didn't have anywhere to live after our trip so it was really like a, that house is empty let's go there um that was kind of the motivation it wasn't i wasn't going there for work specific i wasn't and I was going there because that was where family was. Um, so, yeah, I kind of went back to where family was. And then once we got there, it just kind of snowballed into, you know, everything that was happening in Seattle with the church plant just kind of rolled over and carried into to Coeur d'Alene where we're like, let's just start it here, I guess. During this time, were you going through any personal challenges or was everything good so far and you were staying positive throughout these different trips that you were taking? Everything was pretty good at this point in my life. Like I, I would say up to, up to this, this point, um, anything I really kind of set my mind to, I was able to kind of accomplish. I felt very, I mean, I'm, you know, at this point I'm 21 years old. Yeah. 21, 22, um, 21, 22 buying and selling houses, um, started a nonprofit that was running and newly married and starting a church, you know? And so, um, yeah, it, it kind of, it was almost like too good at that age, um, where that everything up until that point had been going so well. Um, and there was a lot of people in the, my life and surrounding me that kind of were looking to me for guidance. And I think I was still very young, like really young. And, um, didn't know how to handle that, I guess. Was it a lot of pressure and worry that you may give the wrong advice in a way or something that may not work for those individuals? Yeah, I think for me, it was um, kind of this idea that I had to have it all figured out. And at that age, I kind of thought, okay, I can, I'll figure it all out. And the stress that you add to your life when you think you have to have the answers for the world you know, now I could look at it and be like, nah, I don't know very much. And um, I'm okay with that. And I, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm okay with that. You know, and, and like back then I, I didn't have that mentality. I had this like, I got to do it right. I got to do it perfect. I got to lead people in the right way. I got it. And so there was this pressure. And then for some reason I built it in my mind that I had to have it all figured out. And so I couldn't share these struggles and pressures I felt inside. And so, um, 
so yeah, so I kind of just began to build this internal like pressure that was building inside of me. Um, and yet on the outside, still trying to act like everything was perfect and we had it all figured out. During this time and feeling that pressure, did your wife know anything that was happening or were you keeping it all in and not expressing to anybody what you were actually feeling? I think I was keeping a lot. I was keeping it mostly in, you know, like my, my marriage was actually a, you know, great marriage. Um, at, at the, at that point, there wasn't anything like necessarily like wrong. I think it was all a lot of, um, internal baggage I carried, you know, or internal pressures. I felt that I, I didn't, I didn't share very well with anybody. Did that internal baggage ever hit that breaking point where you started going down a different path? Yeah, I exploded my life significantly. So three years into pastoring, um, church is growing and it's it, it, like the community I kind of talked about. It was a really neat community, but I still continually felt this pressure. Um, my first son was um, like my wife was pregnant and so baby was on the way. So there was kind of this added like, holy cow, I'm going to be a dad. I'm a pastor. I got all this going. And uh, our church ended up financially, I had to step and take a, a second job on to kind of help cover some of the expenses. And so I uh, started working a second job. And in that process, uh, met somebody and ended up having an affair. And I, for a little while, kept kind of living with it, being like, I can hide this. I can, I screwed up. I messed up. I can hide it. And uh, so kept going about my business, still pastoring, still functioning and just broken. I mean, like the way I, I look at it, it's like everybody has those things that, that they say, I will never do this. Like I'll never be this person or I'll never do this to this one or I'll never cheat on my spouse. Like that, that would have been one of my things. I will never, you know, and then all of a sudden I find myself breaking my I will never. Um I got pretty much lost where I was like, I don't even know who I am. So I ended up, I, I came home one day and kind of just shared everything with my wife and said, this is what happened. And this is what I did. Um, she left. Uh, I called the church, called the elders of the church and said, this is what happened. This is what I did. And, um, you know, they asked me to step down as, you know, as a pastor of the church. And so everything kind of went, exploded very quickly. It went from, oh man, I got it all figured out. Life's going well. And then I, my son was just born. So my wife and son left, I lost my job and, um, I lost my community in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I kind of blew, blew up my life at that point. And, um, I slowly started rebuilding. Like I got myself into counseling and surrounded myself still by some good people and started working on things and, but in that process, I still had so much shame. I mean, there was so much shame around what I did um, that I would start, I would, it started out really minimal. I would drink like a tall boy beer and then it turned into a six pack. And um, I would do that to just numb, numb the shame. You know, it would just quiet it for just the moment, just enough time for me to be okay. And then, but then I would carry more shame with being like, man. And so I, I found myself drinking um, to to numb out the shame and continued doing that and hiding that um, 
for quite a while. And at the same time, on the other side of that, I was, you know, putting effort in, working hard again, trying to make my marriage work. Um, we started seeing a counselor together and a really slow progression back towards building trust. Um, but then every once in a while I would slip up and get caught drinking and then the trust would break. And so that became a cycle. That became a really ugly cycle that existed in my marriage and in my life for years uh, until I was really able to take it serious and go, I think I got a drinking problem now, you know, and that was hard. That was another piece. That was a really hard thing for me to accept and admit because, um, like I said, the church, I grew up in the church and you don't, you don't have struggles. You don't have problems. You don't have issues. And if you do, you're broken somehow. That's, I mean, that's kind of where I, the, I came from. And, um, you know, and so it took me a long time to get to a comfortable space of even sharing about, um, the affair or sharing about the fact that I'm a recovered alcohol or recovering alcoholic. And, um, but neither of those things define me, you know, during this time, was it kind of a reality check in a way that you were, you're young during this time and you still had a lot of growing to do as an individual? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I look at a 22 year old now and I'm like, I don't think they should ever be in that position of like a lead pastor necessarily. Um, at that age, maybe, you know, maybe not. Uh, but I think it could be done. It could be done different, but yeah, I, I thought I had it all together at that age. And now, yeah, now I'm what, you know, almost so my wife and I've been married 15 years now. Um, 15 years later, I look at it and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And it, I, it's a way more comfortable space to be in of going, I get to wake up every day and go, I need, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always figuring out how to do it better. I'm always, you know, learning just the small little things, how to be a better husband, how to be a better dad. You know, those, those are the things that if I could leave a legacy that my family will look back and go, man, he was a great father. He was a good husband. You know, he dated his wife. Well, like those things, you know, looking at the, trying to break that cycle was the impact of making it right for your kid an important factor in being with your wife and making that relationship work that you would do anything to not get into that cycle again now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, like, um, just very frankly, if I look at, look at the idea of sex and the, an affair with another woman, I, I look at the turmoil that it brings and I don't care how good any sex could be out there in the whole entire world. It's not worth the pain that you go through. Um, internally or that you put others through or experience um in the long run so i mean that's just it's just it's really easy at that point to look at it now to look at it and go for what five ten twenty minutes of pleasure you're willing to sacrifice years of what you know this you know and so because i lived probably for even though my wife and i got back together and we were doing well and we moved to Hawaii. We had all this stuff. We had our second kid, you know, like life was happening well, but deep down, I still carried around this shame that I'm a failure. I have no more voice to speak to this world anymore. And like, I, I let that shame as small as the voice of it was at times. I let it control a lot of my life for years. Um, and it wasn't probably till 
three, four years, three years ago that I really started going, what, what is that shame? How do I get rid of it? How do I actually like let it go? You know? And so, yeah, it's not worth it. I just look at it now and I go, it's just, I've, I've seen, I've seen close people in my life go through what I've gone through. I've get to talk to stories of others and yeah, no sex is that good. Well, it's a lot of the shows nowadays that are on TV or in the media that play into that fact and how people cheat and go through all those traumas on someone, but then they don't realize if it's after the show, the after effect and the long-term effect that has on those individuals. And I think people kind of in those situations are kind of not selfish, selfish in a way that they only are thinking about themselves. But now when they look back at those incidents, they're like, wow, I really hurt that other person in a way. And it kind of shows that you knew something was hurting your wife and you're willing to now do anything to fix it and make it better. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I, yeah, I just look at it and it's just not, you know, it's, it's, it's a selfish act regardless. I don't know how you, I care how you look at it. Like, it's just, if I look back on my affair, it was me choosing to cause damage to myself, to others, um, you know, and just hurt, hurt so many. And so, yeah, it's not, yeah, if, if there's anyone ever listening to the show that's like on the brink of like, you know, cheating on their spouse or, has this if it's an emotional affair whatever it is if it's going on like my words to you it's as good as that seems or as good as that looks or as much as the world tells us that's that's okay that it's it's just not worth what it's going to do at the core of who you are you talked about during this time where you weren't able to be that voice of reason or being that voice to help others when were you able to finally be able to do that again um, you know, I think, um, a couple years ago, I finally felt like I, I had a voice, you know, and I think I, I moved, there was a lot of me that moved through the affair and the shame of that, but then I kept relapsing, meaning like I would put six months together and then I would relapse and then I'd have a couple more months and I'd relapse. And so every time I relapsed with alcohol, it kind of threw me back into this shame cycle. And, and so I felt. I couldn't be used. I wasn't worthy. I had all these lies. And so until I actually started asking the question of like, what are the lies that I believe about myself? And then replacing them with truth. Um, that's kind of when finally I felt like, you know what? I have a voice and I am unique and my story does matter, you know? And I started believing that. And um, I mean, that's a lot of what came out of like how braving the journey of the podcast started was it was a space where I wanted to be able to share stories because I believe, you know, the, that when, when we struggle through whatever it is in life we're going to struggle with, that we'll have a tendency to believe this lie that we're the only ones struggling. And then we'll have a tendency to move towards isolation instead of stepping into community and going, here I am, here's my struggle. We, we isolate. And so the idea of braving the journey was me. I was like, I want to create a space where people that are struggling with recovery, addiction, with um, just challenges of life that they can hear other stories and go, oh, okay, I'm not alone, you know? Um, so yeah, I think about a year ago was really when I was like, you know, I'm going to just start making noise again. 
doing the show, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself doing making it? Hmm. I like you, you and I were talking before that we, we started recording, but like, I feel like I learned so much from other guests that it's just like, it's incredible. You just get to sit there and ask questions and they're like, you know, I'm like, it's uninterrupted time where I get to learn from other people. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm always learning. I'm always, always kind of taking in what everyone else offers. But I think I've, I've really learned in the process of starting braving the journey is that, um, you know, I do, I do have a voice that has, that's unique because I look at like you and I are, are different and every single person in this world has a unique story, who they are, their own identity. And so my belief is when we choose to live into that identity, that is our true self, who we really are, the world needs that. So when we choose to try to copy and be somebody else or try to, or because of shame or lies, we tell ourselves so we don't live into who we are the world misses out, you know? And so I believe, he, you know, regardless of how many people listen to my show or how many people follow me, I don't really care on that level. But what I do know is I'm, I'm putting into the world what I know only I can do. I think it definitely goes back to what we were talking about. Everyone has a story and definitely when I'm listening to my interviews and they, they sometimes the guests mention something that I've gone through and it kind of makes me realize that we all have gone through similar situations. We just yeah. don't know who those people are, but now in a world of social media and technology, we're able to find those answers in a way. And I love the point that you made where we have to be authentic and even friendships nowadays, a lot of times people are be friends with someone and they're not really who they are supposed to be. And right. I want to be friends with someone that wants to know me and be friends with me, not someone that think I am. And that's a huge thing with nowadays that we see with younger people with the age of pictures and filters yeah. and stuff. I think that's the hard part that we don't know if we're seeing the real person or not. No, I think social media does such a disservice because we put on all the great moments of life, uh, you know, out there for the world to see, but no one gets to see the crap that's going on, on on the other side, you know, and you know, we, we all have stuff we're all working on. And, you know, if you're, if you're able to, if you're someone that says I'm not working on anything, then you probably need to work on pride would be my guess, yeah. you know? So I think it's one of those things where there's no perfect person out there. There's no. something we can grow and learn and get better at. And that's what I take pride in every day. What can I learn? What's yep. something new I can learn about? Moving to Hawaii, were you able to recover easily or easier than maybe being in Idaho? Or was it kind of a way to escape the past in a way? You know, it wasn't really an escape. So like after my wife and I got back together after the affair, we, the whole community um, knew our business. Basically everyone knew and everyone had an opinion whether we should be together or not. And, and so the reality is, is we wanted to move like a year after everything happened. Like we were like, we want out, we're done. And we really did. We felt like God was just like, no, I need you to stay here. And we said, okay. And so really for us, it came down to this one day I was at work and I came home and I, I looked at my wife and I just said, Hey, I think, I think we can leave. And she's like, yeah, I don't know why I feel the same. 
And within three weeks, we had moved. Um, and so I think in some ways, at, when I first moved here, it was easier for me to hide from my past because um, nobody knew my business. But that whole saying of no matter where you go, there you are, um, creeped back up on me. So our first year here was really fun. Just us as a family, making new friendships, you know, just really enjoying this time. And then um, life got busier. I got a little stress started picking up a little bit for me and I started um, closet drinking. You know, and I, and so, um, and then well, I had to, at that point I started opening up to some really core friends here of sharing, like, here's my story. Here's what's happened. Here's my past and inviting people into it. Um, cause I knew I needed people, you know? And so then that's, yeah. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, right. If it was easier or harder, I think it was easier to escape at the beginning and then it caught up to us and, um, it became a place where, yeah, I love Maui. I feel like it's a healing place in itself. You know, and my family followed, to be honest. My sister and brother-in-law and their kids moved out here like a year after us. And my wife's parents are here now. And my parents are here. And so, um, yeah, everybody came out here. When you're able to open up to the new friends and the people that you're interacting with in Hawaii, were they able to help in a way and help you in your recovery aspect? Yeah, absolutely. So we I had a, we had a small group of friends that um, it came out. I think my wife was like, "You need to tell everybody like your like." Everyone kind of knew about the affair, and we had talked about that. But it was more like I kept having these like relapses close together, and so finally, I just I remember one one night I was sharing with everybody. I was like, "Hey, I don't know what to do. You know, I keep relapsing. This is where I'm at." And it was, it was that group of friends. I had a really good friend that was a marriage family counselor. She's like, Hey, you got to go see my friend Debbie tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And I, so I go see this, this other counselor, Debbie and uh, Debbie's just sweetheart of a lady. she reminded me of my mom actually. And she, and she, I reminded her of her son. So it was just a weird interaction. I show up and I didn't realize I was showing up to a, um, a treatment center. That was like an outpatient inpatient treatment center. I just thought I was going to see a counselor. And, I, and so I go meet with her. And at the end of the conversation, she looks at me and she's like, hey, um, my program is free to you. Why don't you show up tomorrow and start coming? And I still had no idea what I was signing up for. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and so then I, I got into a outpatient treatment program where I was able to kind of still live at home and be a dad and be functional and still provide for my family. But I was able to put on a lot of work on my recovery and, uh, it, it helped it build it built a really solid foundation for me understanding addiction and recovery and what it is what it isn't and all that stuff when you were going through that program was your wife supporting you at the same time and hoping that it would get better your guys's relationship and what the future could be with you guys no oh, absolutely i yeah she's um She's an amazing woman because she's always been um, one of my number one fans. You know, she she wasn't never she wasn't like in this like resentful like oh now you got to put all these energy and time into doing treatment. You know, and at this outpatient, she was like the one just being like I'm so proud of you. It's like I'm proud that you're working hard at it. I'm proud that you're you're taking it serious. Um, yeah, she's always been that that kind of person in my life. Like even now, you know, like my my recovery on a weekly basis looks 
different for me, you know, than some, some people have to go to an AA meeting every day. That's just, that's, that's them for me. Mine's a balance of a couple of AA meetings, um, a couple of other meetings and, um, self-care. I have to, for me, self-care is just as important as the meetings are. And so, you know, I have this kind of balance of a week that I look at and go, this is my recovery program. And my wife's always the one, you know, as I write out my calendar every Sunday night, I write it out for the week. And, uh, she's always the one that looks at it and goes, Hey, you're forgetting. What about this? Not like in a nagging way, but like in an encouraging, like, Hey, you didn't create any time to go surf this week, you know, or why don't you create some space to go to the beach for yourself for just a little bit, you know? And so, yeah, she's always been a huge fan. Just amazing characteristics in her because sometimes in these situations, they don't happen like your situation is and they leave and they never want to see you again, or they'll take children away from their parents. And it shows that she was willing to do anything also to help you and build that family back together. So you're able to be with your son and be together as a family. And it just shows the amazing characteristics you guys both have as a couple. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's awesome, you know, and it's been really fun. Like we, um, we have three kids now and that are our our own. And then we've been foster parents for the last uh, 10 years. So we always have different kids coming and going and living with us. And then, you know, I think three years ago we started another nonprofit that works with the foster kids on Maui. And, um, you know, so we get to work with these kids. And so, yeah, it's, you know, reflecting way back to this idea that we were going to go open up an orphanage somewhere in another country. Like we found how to do that here, you know, how to support um, vulnerable children in, in this space. And so, yeah, she gets to do a lot of that, which is awesome. Are you able to be honest with your kids or the kids that you're fostering about your situation? Or are you more focused on what kind of impact to help them maybe not go through a similar situation? Um, I mean, it's to me, it's age appropriate. You know, so my son's 12 and my, my daughters are uh, seven and four. So they all know that dad goes to AA meetings. Um, but I'm sure my four-year-old doesn't really know what an AA meeting is. Uh, my son and I, you know, we, he, he knows about the affair. Um, my girls, my girls don't, or, uh, but I, I sat down with him and had to talk about it because I felt like, especially once I started getting public about it, like as far as talking, I was like, he likes to listen to my podcast. And I was like, well, you know, we need to talk through some of this. And so, um, yeah, so he, he knows and they like again they're, they're like my number one supporters like you know my son will be like dad how many days you got sober you know and like just you know it's like they celebrate it and at the same time i th- i really hope my kids get to learn from my mistakes you know i hope that they can look at it and be like you know i don't want to go down that path that dad did for at, during that time you know looking back at when you were younger would you have changed anything differently that maybe would change the result of the outcome? Or are you thinking that it helps you grow as an individual to get to where you are at through all the challenges you rised over? Yeah, I mean, um, I I really don't know what I could change in my childhood younger years to uh, deflect everything that happened, but you know, I, I would definitely change the affair because I mean, just how much pain it caused others. 
Um, but at this very same breath, though, um, I I love that I get to work in a space now with people that are trying to be alcohol free and trying to figure out what the sober life looks like. And I would never have known how to connect with people. You know, even like uh, I have had a lot of people come to me that have been in the same situation, you know, of like, hey, I had an affair. Um, I can walk into that space with way more compassion and understanding and grace than I ever would have been able to. So, yeah, I mean, like there's part of me that's very, you know, as much as the road was really rocky and bumpy, it was still, there was great joy in it. And I've gotten to learn a lot. So kind of goes back to when we were talking about when you were younger or 21 and people were coming to you for guidance and stuff at a young age and you felt like you weren't ready at that time or you weren't prepared or you didn't go through much but now going through your situation and people are coming to you looking for that advice you have more of not confidence but more sense of compassion in a way where you're able to give people those guidance and help them in their situations yeah at least i hope so but yeah i do i think so i you know um yeah i love that i can connect with people on that level and i love that i'm also in a space where i i'm not going to make up an answer if i don't know you know i'm like i'm able to walk alongside people and go hey we can figure this out together you don't have to figure it out alone um but i'm also not the savior of the world i don't know the answers to everything you know and so um it's really a comfortable space to be able to go like, I would love to help guide you, but you know, I can only do my part. And it really comes down to the other person wanting to make change, you know? So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? Mm, I always love that. I feel like my personal and professional get so blended together. And you know, um, so, to get to date my wife and my kids as much as I can, you know, and get just quality time with them and living, enjoying where I live. You know, it's, it's easy for, I think it's easy for all of us as humans just to get wrapped up into the busyness of life um, that we forget to enjoy, you know? And so for me, it's a, that's a, I want to look back in five years and be like, man, I really enjoyed watching my kids in the season of life they're in and getting to surf and play and explore with them. Um, that'd be a big one, you know? And then on top of that, you know, if I look at the more practical things, so our nonprofit called village of hope, we, um, recently just launched a mentorship program. Um, and our goal is to have all the, all the kids that are in the foster system and vulnerable kids on Maui have mentors paired up. And so in five years, I would love to see that thing full. Like I would love to see every kid that is in need paired up with a mentor. Um, and then on the business side of me, for me with, uh, with braving the journey, I, I want to keep growing. I want to keep helping and coaching people, you know, recovery coaching. I, you know, right now I do currently one-on-one -on -one recovery coaching and, and, and moving and phasing into more group coaching. Um, you know, I hope to get the chance to just begin to have more and more of a voice in the recovery world. Because I think um, so often in recovery, there's like this route of like, oh, you either go to AA or you go to a treatment center. But 
there's not this middle ground of like, what about the people that aren't going to go to either of those? You know, I want to be able to be a voice for those people that go, um, yeah, my life hasn't completely fallen apart yet, but I recognize I have an issue with alcohol. So, you know, I want to be alcohol free. So how do I do that? You know? And so, yeah, I want, I, my desire is to see, um, in five years, I'd love to be able to see my capacity of coaching completely full and being able to train other coaches, um, so that we can actually continually impact and have more and more coaches working with people. The final question I'll ask you, based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, reverse engineer your life. Meaning... If we, if we have a tendency to just keep moving forward um, without really knowing the direction we're headed, um, you'll probably get off course. And all it takes is that one degree, and over time, it'll get really bad. So one of the biggest things I, I encourage people to do when I say like reverse engineer is um, take the time to write out when you die, what do you want the people around you to say? What do you want your wife to say about you? What do you want your kids to say about you? What do you want your coworkers to say about you? And write it out. Like get down to the detail. Like I want them to see me as this, 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 this. And then, then you could take that and then you can reverse engineer and go, okay, what do I have to do today to begin? And, and my belief, I, it's so funny that, cause I'm usually, I have been such an all or nothing person in my life in so many different areas, but growth of life, I, I've really come to accept this idea that it's the super small, insignificant, things that we do that compound over time that make the long effect and difference. And so if I look at the, where, I, what I want people to say when I die and then I reverse engineer it back to what can I do today? Then you just break it down into really, really small steps that are almost so small that you can't even notice them. But in a year you'll see a huge difference in five years. And, you know, and so that's my encouragement. You know, it's, it's not, there's all big, Whoa, I did everything. I did it all right. It's like, what can I do when I wake up today that is going to help get me that one, one little inch closer to who I say I want to be? It's almost like completing a puzzle in a way. Each piece yeah. represents something and you want to make sure you're able to put all those pieces on that whole picture. Yeah. Hopefully that end picture of you in the goal. Yeah. I mean, I've always just seen it like when we talk about, you know, financially like money compounding over time, you put it in a savings account and you're, or, you know, and you watch your retirement compound. If you don't touch it, you leave it there. It's going to compound. And it's going to be worth more. Right. Yep. So why isn't it true with life? So, you know, you want to run a marathon. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and do it, but you could probably go walk around the block tomorrow and then you can walk around two blocks the next day. And if you continually compound those super small things, really anything's possible. So. Well, Zach, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You inspire so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to keep the full of the format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.